stand up if you would. Let me lead you in a, a confession of faith. Let's say all this together. Say, we are, we are a, holy a holy priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. We are, priesthood. We are kings and priests unto God. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And as priests, we have the privilege of direct access to God. And we have the responsibility to represent Him to others. We are living stones and we are being built up as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And because we're being built up together, we assemble, we gather, and we are vitally connected to one another. We are joined together by the Holy Spirit. And we each have a place of belonging. Because we're a strong house in the Lord. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I just wanted to, that's kind of, if you were not here this morning, that was kind of a quick uh, confessional summary of a lot of what we teach. Let's go ahead and pop the first screen up because I want to remind you what it is that when we talk about the priesthood of believers, and I like what Pastor David said uh, because the title doesn't sound exciting, uh, but the content really is when we understand it. And, and here is our definition of the priesthood of the believer that every child of God has the privilege and don't we love privileges? We have the privilege of direct access to God through Jesus Christ and the responsibility. I'm not sure we like responsibility as much as we like privileges, do we? But whenever there's a privilege, there is a responsibility. And we have the responsibility of representing God uh, and ministering to others on His behalf. And we, we kind of ended the day with the uh, passage about how Mary ministered to Jesus. And you remember what she did? She took the very expensive perfume and she poured it on his feet. And she was using her hair to wipe. And, and, and Jesus said, she's anointing me for burial. But she was ministering to him. And the Bible says the fragrance did what? It filled the room. And when we serve one another, and remember we serve one another, we serve as unto the Lord, right? And you may think, well, I don't know, there's nothing I can do directly for Jesus like that. I want to read something to you that Mother Teresa said. How many of you think Mother Teresa is kind of awesome? Yeah. I mean, I'm actually, you know, I look at what she did and I just, wow. What a gift of compassion and, and mercy. And she said this. She said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. Uh, 
the, this one has leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. I don't know about you, but the first time I heard that, I, I didn't like the sound of that very much because I didn't like her saying, this is sick Jesus. How many of you know theologically that kind of boing, that kind of throws? But, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I realized that Jesus himself, I'm going to turn here in uh, Matthew, and these I, I didn't give these guys these scriptures, but Matthew chapter 25, and uh, let's find it. Uh, then the king, Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. How many of you want to hear those words? Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared uh, for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was uh, thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Mother Teresa, she said, this is sick, Jesus. I must care. She could have said, this is prisoner, Jesus. You know, but... Uh, uh, and you visited me, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. See, we may think, well, I don't have the privilege that Mary had of pouring perfume on the feet of Jesus, but whenever we serve any human being, we can be like Mother Teresa and say, I see that when, when, I, when I see people in hurting, and, and I, I, that's Jesus, I'm serving and ministering to Jesus. I think there's a really powerful and uh, tremendously beautiful image there. But let's look at another scripture. We have something coming up on the screen here. We're talking about that when we serve, we function as a priest. And uh, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Isn't that powerful? See, remember, we are priests. When priests went in to minister in the holy place, the fragrance of the incense totally saturated their clothing, their hair, their, you know, their skin. And, and we carry, when we serve God, by serving one another... There, there's a fragrance. Paul said, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. That's priestly language. I hope after hearing this, as you read through the New Testament, that you'll see things and say, oh, that's priestly language. You know, they probably would have picked it up quicker than we would because they were so much closer to that 
uh, Hebraic uh, priestly system. But if we know some of the Old Testament, we will see some of these allusions. Number two, we're talking about how we function in priestly manner as New Testament believers. Number two, the first one was we function as priests when we serve. Number two, we function as priests when we give. We function as priests when we give. I want you to look at something that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I have received the gift you sent by Epaphroditus. And he was talking about a financial gift. The Philippians supported Paul financially. He said, I have received the gift you sent by Epaphroditus and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. Now, let's think beyond money, okay? We know that money is a part of it. We know that, man, in order for this church to function, have you ever, like, Pastor Tony, have you ever gotten, like, a bill from what, what's Omaha's electric? Omaha, Nebraska? What? OPPD. Have you ever gotten a bill from them and called them and said, you know what, uh, we don't have any money this month, but hey, we're going to pray for you. <laughs> Would that work? They, they want what? They want money. It takes money to operate the church. You know, these lights, you know, the air when it gets cold. Uh, you know, think about the parking lot. You know, that, have, have you ever like said, offered, you know, we'll pray for you in exchange for you shoveling our, our, our parking lot? Nah, it doesn't work either. Uh, they, want, they want money. That's the currency of doing business and that type of thing. And so uh, when you give to the Lord, uh, Paul said, he said, when you sent this gift to me, he said, I love this, um, he said it was a sweet sacrifice and this statement is so power, powerful, perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness. You know, I don't, I don't know that that really happens if we give grudgingly. Oh, they're asking me to give money for the church again. Okay, here's a... That's not, that's not perfumed with the fragrance of faithfulness. But when people give... And, and we know this was the case. They, they supported Paul because they loved him. When you give your tithes and your offerings because you love God and you love this church. Do you know it's good to love your church? When you give because you love your church, there is a sweet perfume. It is, it is uh, what, what's the terminology again here? It is... Um, perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, and it is so pleasing to God. There could not be anything that is more priestly terminology. This is priestly language. So that when you serve other believers, uh, you're really serving Jesus, and it fills the house with the fragrance. When you give as unto the Lord through your church, when you get, it is, it is perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness. Why? Because we are a royal priesthood. 
We are a holy priesthood. We are a spiritual house. Let me give you another one. Uh, Number three, we function as priests when we consecrate ourselves to God. We function as priests when we consecrate ourselves to God. You know, in one sense, sometimes people think, boy, it would have been hard to be under the Old Testament. Well, yeah, because, you know, they did not have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. They kind of had to serve God from the outside in. They had to try to keep all these regulations in the power of their own flesh. How many of you know as new covenant believers, one of the primary things is we are born of the Spirit of God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So in the Old Testament, uh, they kind of serve God from the outside in. But in the New Testament, we get to serve God from the inside out. We, we get a new heart. We get a born-again human spirit. Uh, God lives on the inside of us. But at the same time, stop and think about this, at the same time, our standards that we are required to keep are much more stringent than the believers had in the Old Covenant. You th- oh, I thought they had it harder. No, we have it harder. In terms of the external, let me give you an example. In the Old Covenant, I'm going to pick on Brother Dave again here. Thanks for letting me pick on you today. Um, We had you in smoke-filled rooms today. Tonight's different. But let's say in the Old Covenant, okay, let's say Dave and I live in the same village and that type of thing. Really, all I had to do to keep the law with Dave was not kill him. Okay, so Dave, I'm not going to murder you and I'm not going to steal anything and I'm not going to lie to you and stuff like that. But you know what? In the old, so if I didn't kill him, lie, steal, cheat, etc., then I was okay. I had kept the law. Okay, but in the new covenant, I have to love him like Jesus loves me. Do you know that's harder? But, but I can do it because in the New Testament, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So in the Old Testament, God said, do this. In the New Testament, God says, I'm going to help you do this. Or I'm going to do this through you. And so, but, but um, in the Old Testament, if I was a priest... I would have to take, like for example, I'd have to take the turtle doves or the lamb that that Brother Dave brought and I would have to take that and I would have to, you know, kill it and then offer it as a sacrifice and so on. And you know what, as a priest, you know, you can, that's kind of impersonal. You know, his lamb doesn't mean anything to me. It's just another sacrificial animal, kill it, offer it up and that type of thing. But in the New Testament, the offerings get really personal. What does Romans 12 say? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That's priestly language. 
See, in the Old Testament, I just had to give somebody else's animal and sacrifice. But in the New Testament, I have to give my own self to God. I have to put myself on the altar, so to speak. Give your bodies to God. Let them, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It, it, see, in the New Testament, it gets, it gets more stringent. You don't just get to offer up some little animal. You have to offer up yourself in your entirety, in the entirety of who you are. So the third way we function as priests is, is when we consecrate ourselves to God. Number four, and this to me right here, number four, I feel like we're kind of building up to this because I feel this is kind of the pinnacle. And in one sense, we could, have, we could very well make this number one and make all the others to follow. But number four, we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. David said in Psalm 141, let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like what? Like fragrant incense rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. Now, one of the things that we know, and if we had lots of time, we could go through this, but one of the things God talked to his people about a lot was how much God disliked it when things just become ritualistic. And God one time said, you know, you do all these things, but your heart is far from me. And, and at times he said, you know, because your heart is not in it and, and because, you know, you're, you're going through the motions externally. On a couple of occasions, God said, I don't even want your sacrifices anymore. Your sacrifices stink. You know, even though externally they were doing things right, and so notice what David said, let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense, rising as my offering to you as I lift up my hands in surrendered worship. You know, we have to be uh, attentive even in this day and age that we don't just take our worship here, you know, kind of ritualistically and just take it for granted. Uh, Number one, I'm going to tell you what, the your worship team is awesome. you got a really good team here. And, and honestly, I don't know the technical side of music at all. Um, uh, my wife, daughter, and son are all really gifted musically. And, and I'm kind of like the family joke when it comes to singing and things like that. I, it's respectful, but I'm, I'm really, really bad. So I don't know the technical side of music at all, but I do know the presence of God. And, uh, and, and boy, we want to, when we come in, we want to really get into this with our heart and not just take it for granted and not just tell, oh, it's a preliminary. Pastor Tony, you'll appreciate this as a pastor. One of my friends uh, had a guest minister in. And uh, I, gosh, I hope this doesn't sound bad. Um, but, but they were worshiping and everything, and uh, the worship was really rich. 
And this guest minister said to the uh, pastor, uh, he, he, he nudged him and said, uh, I'm ready. And the pastor just ignored him because the pastor's worshiping God. And the worship went on for, you know, another minute or so. And this guest man, the guest minister was ready to get up there. And he, he hit him. He said, I'm ready. I'm ready. And, and he ignored him. And, uh, and, and that went on. And, and then again, the, the guest minister said, Pastor, I'm ready. And the pastor said, we are worshiping God. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're ready or not. This isn't about you. We're worshiping God. You know, that's why we come to church, to worship God. And so I love what David said, but look at this too. Look at this next passage of Scripture. How many of you think heaven's going to be pretty awesome? If you don't like worship here, you're going to be in trouble there. Now, I, I'm going to throw out something and Pastor Tony, please, I'm, I'm submitted to you. So if you think this is weird or off, please just at the end of service or right now, just say, folks, don't, that, that's wrong. He, you know, he, I'm, I'm submitted to your pastor when I'm here. He's the, he's the pastor of this church. And if I say something goofy or whatever, he has every right to correct me, you know, nicely, hopefully, you know. <laughs> But, but look at this verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 8. Now, when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, you remember this, this uh, situation in heaven that John was caught up to heaven and saw things happening in the heavenly realm. When Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and, and what? Gold. And golden bowls full of incense. Isn't that beautiful? Which are the prayers of the saints. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I realize the book of Revelation is full of symbolic language. Uh, it, it's kind of a unique book when it comes to um, Bible interpretation, apocalyptic literature, uh, the people who really specialize in this understand there's a few different rules in interpreting apocalyptic language as opposed to just straight, flat doctrinal teaching and that type of thing. But I look at this, Pastor Tony, and I just wonder, the, the Bible talks about the whole family in heaven and on earth. Do you know, we're part of the same family. You stop and think about your loved ones who have died in the Lord and they're in heaven, and we're here. We're geographically, I guess geographically, locationally, we're in a different place, but spiritually, we are in Christ, and they are in Christ. 
And our prayers are being shown here as being in bowls of incense. What, what does incense do? Incense rises up. The prayers of the saints. Is it possible? I'm not saying this is a doctrine. I'm just, to me, it's just a speculative idea. But that our prayers and our praise is if we could see and experience what people in heaven are experiencing, that when they praise God and when they adore Him and worship Him, that our prayers and praise actually kind of mingle in with the praise and worship that's taking place in heaven? I'm not saying that as a doctrinal certainty. I'm just saying maybe we're not as distant from them as we think, okay? Maybe in the spirit, okay, that, that what we, when we praise and worship God, that it's actually intermingled with praise and worship in heaven. I don't know what difference that makes on Monday morning other than that when we are in the presence of God, and, and what if we could see it this way? Because when the Bible says we are a kingdom of priests, and we're a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. You know, we know on Sunday morning when we're together, I believe our praise ascended to heaven just like that incense and thing. Think about what happened in the whole earth in the 24-hour period when worship and praise was coming up from the entire earth, just ascending up to heaven from North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Australia, uh, wherever the islands of the sea, that just, just incense was arising everywhere. Our worship is really important. That our, our prayers, our praise, our worship is, is, is acknowledged in heaven as being held by these 24 elders and ascending from these golden bowls like incense. To me, it inspires me. It means I think our worship carries far more import and influence than we realize. Let me share with you one other scripture. This is all, you, you understand all of this is priestly language. The, the bowls of incense and, and that type of thing. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This is so rich. This is so powerful. Ministering to the Lord is what the priests did. Now, sometimes they ministered to the people. In the outer court, and, and boy, we could take time and, you know, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was an outer court where the animals were sacrificed. And that speaks of Jesus dying on the cross for us. But then the priests would go to a second location called the, the golden laver or the basin. I'm sorry, brazen. It was brass. And, and, and they would wash off the blood and the dust and everything from offering. 
because they had to be cleansed before they could go into the holy place. And, and then they would minister to the Lord. In the outer court, they ministered to the people. In the inner court, they ministered to the Lord. It was, that was how the priestly system was set up. This verse in Acts 13, Antioch, Pastor Tony, you talked about us doing things. I preached in Antioch a while back by Zoom. This is uh, Antioch. Today it's the city in Turkey called Antakya. It's 12 miles from the Syrian border. And I had the privilege of by Zooming in and sharing with the congregation, I preached to the church in Antioch. And uh, 2,000 years ago, Paul, who was called Saul at that point, Saul and Barnabas were there with other teachers and prophets and so on. And the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work. This is really important. And I hope you really catch what we're saying here. How many times do we need direction for something down here? How many times do we need wisdom, guidance? How many times are we at a place in our life where we've gone as far as we can go at this stage and we need something to happen before we can move into the next stage? Well, one way, the natural way that we think is, okay, I'm just going to ask God to give me the direction. And can I tell you something? That's perfectly fine. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid or correct for chastisement, that type of thing. But you know what they did? And maybe there were some requests in here, but when they got... Stop and think how important this direction was. This was God launching the first apostolic, targeted, concentrated effort to reach the Gentiles. All the evangelism up to this point had really been directed just toward the Jewish folks. And, uh, but now it's time for the church to make this bold step out and really aggressively and proactively go after the Gentile world how did this direction come? The Bible doesn't say they were asking, they were pleading, they were requesting. There could have been some of that. But the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord. Can I tell you something? If you and I will minister to the Lord, just tell Him how much we love Him, worship Him, adore Him, honor Him, do what Paul said, present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice. Just minister to the Lord. I think we'll get more from Him than if we just spend all of our time asking Him for things. Think about this. You that have little kids or used to have little kids or have kids that still act like they're little. Um, <laughs> What would happen when your kids would come up to you and say, you know, mom, dad, I want a cookie. I want a cookie. Well, you might give them a cookie or something, 
But what would happen if your kids came up and said, Mom, Dad, I love you so much. You're just the best mom and dad. I just, is there anything I can do to help you around the house today? I just, I love you so much. I couldn't ask for a better mom or dad. Man, you throw the whole package of Oreos at them, you know, or something, maybe not Oreos. But uh, there's nothing wrong with asking. But I think, I think we'll get more from God if we spend more time adoring and ministering to Him than if we just, you know, what would you think if the only time your kid ever contacted you was when they wanted something from you? You know, it's probably amazing, Pastor Tony, that we get as many prayers answered as we do. <laughs> but if we, put, if we put worship before asking... And I need, I need to, we, I need to, let's talk about this later because I need to process this thing out a little bit. But I think, I just think we'd be better off as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So what are we saying here? That we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. Number five, we function as priests when we win the lost. We function as priests when we win the lost. Everything that we've been referencing has priestly language in it. Let me show you something else that has priestly language. Paul says, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus. And he really was. He had a real specific assignment. Uh, you know, God really trusted him with a heavy-duty assignment responsibility. He said, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God. Isn't that interesting language? That when we share the gospel with somebody and they say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, we are in, we are in essence presenting them as an acceptable offering to God. Now, we don't present burnt offerings to God. Okay? You remember what Paul said in Romans 12, present your body to God a living sacrifice. I believe in deathbed conversions. I believe people can get saved at the last second, but it's not the best. It's not advisable. Um, I believe that when the thief on the cross said, uh, you know, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise, I think that's kind of a final, right-before-death experience. But did you know that Paul didn't say, present yourself a dying sacrifice? If you get saved right before you breathe your last breath, thank God you got saved, you go to heaven, that type of thing. But isn't it better to give yourself to God in, in the best of your days, not the worst of your days? I know many people do get saved later in life, and thank God for everybody that gets saved whenever they get saved. But Paul said, present yourself to God a living sacrifice. Give God the best of your days. Give God the best of your energy. Give God the optimum time to use you on this earth. 
I really feel sorry for people that think, well, you know, I don't want to get saved yet because I just want to have fun. You know, no, you're, you're going to have, a, you know, um, you're not going to have fun. Uh, you know, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. I, I, I find it interesting, you know, some people give these testimonies about, you know, I didn't want to get saved early because I wanted to have fun. And then I went through, I went to prison. I, you know, uh, went through drug and alcohol addiction, you know, almost died from all these things, you know, uh, because I was so busy having fun without Jesus. Okay. So Paul says, I love this terminology. He said, so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. These things are so powerful that, that we serve as priests when we serve one another. That we function as priests uh, when we give. That our offering has a fragrance of faithfulness to it. That we function as priests when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. That we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. And we function as priests when we win the lost. Can I tell you something? We are not priests only when we come to church. We are called to be priests 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until we step into heaven. And even then, I think there's the priestly, we're going to worship God there. Heaven's different than earth, of course, in some ways. But boy, if we could accept this, and, and I think it would revolutionize the way we look at everything that we do if we understood this element of priesthood. And what a privilege it is to be a priest. I want to close tonight with a couple, well, it's just a string of passages from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. I referenced this this morning, and let me encourage you tonight, if you want to, if you want to appreciate this even more, what we've communicated, go home, not now, when we dismiss, Go home and study or just read Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. Because God wanted a kingdom of priests way back when. And God knew that the people weren't going to be able to fulfill it, but he was communicating his desire that even as far back as Exodus, that he wanted a kingdom of priests and, and when God's presence showed up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and there was a dark cloud and fire and lightning and thunder, and the people panicked and they begged Moses, Moses, we're, we're afraid of God. We, you talk to God and, and, and you tell us what God says. We don't want to deal with God directly. That was the whole point of why the priesthood was instituted because the people couldn't handle dealing with God directly. Hebrews 12, 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, 
to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. This is what's described in Exodus 19 and 20. So Hebrews is summarizing what had happened there. Moses himself in verse 21, Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Because kind of like when you're, when you're not born again, God can be really, really scary. Okay? Um, and it goes on to say in verse 22, No, you have come to Mount Zion. We're not going to Mount Sinai. Now, we study it. We appreciate it. We respect what God did. But that's not the mountain that we're going to. We have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful what? Gathering. Do you know even the angels believe in gathering? Isn't that powerful? You have come to the assembly. Assembly. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. How many of you are glad that your name is written in heaven? You have come to God Himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. See, see this language right here makes me think that there's something about this idea that... And, and please, don't go home and start talking to dead people, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But there's something about when we are worshiping God, there's something about our connection to the family of God in heaven. Our praise is intermingling with their praise. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. See, that, that's just like that verse in 1 Timothy. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews is reiterating that. Hebrews, much of Hebrews is about Christ as our high priest. And the fact that he is our high priest means that we are the priests under him. We, follow the, we are priests who follow the direction of the high priest. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. See, Hebrews is this constant contrast 
between things of the old and things of the new. The blood of Abel cried out for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. We, didn't, we are not coming to Mount Zion. Uh, do you know, we're, we're heading up toward December. Can you believe Christmas is almost here? Isn't that amazing? And, and one person made this statement. When Jesus came in the flesh, you know, he didn't come to scare us. He came to save us. Nothing is more approachable than a baby. Maybe a puppy, but... but <laughs> But Jesus in the nativity. Now, he didn't stay that way. But that was God coming to earth. That was the word becoming flesh. And we could see him grow and develop and, and all that and live that sinless and perfect life. And then he went to the cross as the substitute for our sins. And he became our high priest. And he made us a kingdom of priests. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live beneath my privileges. I don't want to live beneath my responsibilities. Priesthood means, if we could go back to slide number 15 again, priesthood means that every child of God, how many of you are a child of God? that you have the privilege of direct access to God through Jesus Christ and you have the responsibility of representing God and ministering to others on His behalf. You know what, let's just take a minute, and I don't know, can we have some nice soft background music? Do we still have some of the worship team here? Just even a little instrumental keyboard or anything like that? Thank you guys. Just some soft background I want us to take a minute, and I just want us to close tonight, and then Pastor Tony, if he has anything absolutely wonderful, but I just want us to consecrate ourselves to this. Consecrate ourselves to our priesthood. I, I know that sounds unusual because we have such a, a religious idea of what a priest is, but if we have a New Testament perception Boy, it's our greatest privilege. And it will become our most fulfilling responsibility to walk in that priesthood. So let's just stand up for a minute. And I'm going to invite you to talk to God yourself. Commit yourself to walking in the privilege. Lord, I am sure we're, we are growing, Lord. None of us are here because we're perfect. But Lord, we can't walk in the light of things that we haven't seen yet. And I pray today that, I know I've seen some new things today. I pray that we'll walk in the light of what it means to be a kingdom of priests. Lord, we appreciate Pastor Tony so much and Jeanette and, and all the leaders here. But Lord, we don't want to be have an Old Testament mindset where we say, God, don't talk to us. Only talk to Pastor Tony and let Pastor Tony tell us everything. But Lord, he's a pastor. He's a teacher. He's going to teach us a lot of things. But Lord, we, we're priests with him. So we're under the same anointing that he's under. We... Uh, what he says will bear witness with our spirit. It'll stimulate us. And, and Lord, we can be that kingdom of priests together.
Lord, each of us can be that living stone that doesn't stay isolated or in solitude, but Lord, we come together. And when living stones come together, they can form a spiritual house. Lord, only if they're connected properly and securely and cemented, strong mortar that holds us together in a strong sense of unity, we become a strong house. Lord, help us to walk in our priesthood. Help us to not take, take for granted that we have this privilege of direct access, but Lord, let us walk in it just all the time, regularly, frequently. And Lord, let us be reminded that we have the responsibility to represent you and to minister to others. Thank you, Lord, that we have the connection with you that's not based on us or our perfection. It's based on Jesus and his blood and his, his perfection. So, Lord, help us. Let that become a new reality. And if we've had a perception of it, an increased reality in our lives. Let our homes be full of this atmosphere of connectedness and spiritual union. Father, we just thank you and we praise you. We present our bodies to you, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. Someone mentioned to me today, it's not an unreasonable service, it's a reasonable service. It's just reasonable, God, that we would offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Let's just lift our hands and worship him for a moment. Father, we love you right now. We thank you for taking us from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. Lord, when the enemy tries to come in and bombard us with frustration and fear, Lord, thank you that we have direct access to you. And we can just be saturated with your very presence. Lord, we thank you, we honor you, we glorify you, and we thank you for who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name.